Hey everybody, I'm Zoe. And I'm Chandi. And this is Bound by the Cloak. What's one thing most people can't live without nowadays? I'm sure there are a lot of things, but let's just say it's safe to say that our lives would be a lot harder if we didn't have access to GPS. Whether you're a frequent traveler, a delivery driver, or just someone trying to find the nearest coffee shop, GPS has played a role in making our lives easier. In many ways, we use a variety of different things in our daily lives, but we don't think about the backstory of how they were invented or who invented them. Today on the podcast, we're going to explore the incredible life and contributions of a remarkable individual, pioneering mathematician Dr. Gladys West. Her contributions have often been overlooked, but have profoundly impacted the world as we know it. We couldn't speak with Dr. West, but we sat down with her daughter, Carolyn Oglesby, to uncover the chapters of her mother's life from early years growing up in the segregated South to the groundbreaking work that played a pivotal role to the development in the global positioning system, or GPS. We'll explore the challenges she faced, the barriers she broke, and the legacy this hidden figure leaves behind. I am Gladys B. West. The uh, GPS is a global positioning system. I started very early in my career uh, working at Dahlgren on the GPS system, not knowing that it was GPS I was working on, however. But uh, I uh, was hired to work on computers, to be a computer programmer, uh, where you use, have to write the uh, mathematical equations in computer language and, 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 and check all, all the uh, physics and all of it, make sure you got, you got everything right. Hi, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing well, thank you. Tell us about yourself. Um, my name is Carolyn Oglesby. I am the daughter of Dr. Gladys West. I am a competency manager for the financial managers at Marine Corps Systems Command in Quantico, Virginia. I love my job. I love helping, mentoring people, hiring, and all that good stuff. Competency manager. So you basically make sure that they are getting their job done? Yes, I, I help with training. If they need some particular training, I mentor their career paths. You know, I do the hiring. I do um, team building motivation, just making sure that each person is healthy. I don't believe it's just professional health. I believe your whole body needs to be healthy mentally and everything. And so that's my job. And you have a background in science? My undergraduate is economics. Economics. And my master's and um, doctorate are both in organization, leadership, and human resources. Okay. So I didn't follow mom's footsteps, <laughs> <laughs> nor my dad. <laughs> I mean, neither did I. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who is mom? Okay, so yes, my mom is Dr. Gladys B. West, and her calculations were. Part, uh, we're an integral part of the modern day uh, GPS, and I am happy to be here to share a little bit about her story. Um, she no longer does the 
public appearances and talking, but she still wants her message out to inspire and encourage people to follow their dreams and just be all that they can. So I am happy to be here to continue to share that. You know, your your mother has made tremendous contributions to, to the Air Force, to GPS. How did she get into mathematics? How did she wind up getting on that path and, and doing such great things? So if I go back to her elementary school days, uh, she was very good, very studious, and excelled in all of her subjects. And she knew she wanted to get a higher education. So her teachers told her that because she was good in everything, she should go into a field that's less common. And so they encouraged her to do math. And then when she got to college, um, she continued in math. She had some good mentors. She actually lived with a mathematician and a physicist from Virginia State who helped encourage her in math. And then she taught a few years, went back, got her master's, and then taught again, but received the job offer from Dahlgren, Virginia. And that's how she started on that math path. Just to go back a little bit, it seems like, so somebody saw her potential in yes. um, math and the hard sciences and just kind of encouraged that. And I think that's so important, especially for young girls and women now. Does she talk about, you know, how it was being a woman of color in the hard sciences, in the military, on a base? Right. <laughs> so when she got there, yes, she had the um, the racial and the sex of being a woman. So both of those were challenges. She was the second Black woman at Dahlgren and the fourth Black mathematician there. So it was all new, but she is grateful. The person who recruited her, uh, Ralph Neiman, he had the idea of getting there and really integrating Dahlgren Naval Base. So she was proud to be part of that. But there were challenges based on both. But she just always felt that she should treat others the way that she wanted to be treated. So she knew the subtle things. There weren't blatant racism or sexual things going on, but it was, you knew it was there, but she just wanted them to see her for what she could do. She worked very, very hard, continued studying. You know, when she got to Dahlgren, she knew nothing about computers. So she had to learn all of that. And she was just determined to, to do that and to show here I am and I, I deserve to be here and I can do this job. So I, I did areas where I would collect data from the satellites, many satellites that flew over us, and then did solutions using mathematical equations uh, to find the discrepancy that we had, had in, in finding the exact positions. And so uh, I, I, I did, I guess I should say, I was, before I started with the big computer, I did some with the hand calculator. And so while she was working at Dahlgren, how did she get put on that project or that assignment? I think it was just she just worked a variety of, of okay. different projects. And her work was with the satellites and determining the right position of the satellites. Uh, she was doing that for the military. And so each project just led to a different part. It, it wasn't that she was selected for that particular part. It just kind of gradually led to that. 
Did she have any idea of like what specifically she was working on or was like a top secret kind of a. Everything was top secret. I think she understood that she was trying to find the exact positions of everything so that the military, you know, could be in the wars and and be safe. She knew that much. Um, But I don't think complete detail. They probably didn't. Of course. In terms of working on satellites for military purposes, I mean, just to kind of think about how GPS is used now, which is everywhere all the time. I mean, just to kind of think about the impact of her work. Can you talk about that a little bit on you, on her, on your family? Sure. Um, You know, I tell the story all the time. Mom didn't realize the impact of her work. But about 10 years before this came to light, it came to light in 2018. Until then, none of us knew what she did. But about 10 years before that, my husband and I gave my parents a GPS and we were teaching them how to use it. And, you know, it was a struggle. My mom still loves her paper maps. She says everything is more accurate with the paper maps. So when the story came to light, my husband looked at them and they, he was like, your work was a big part of this and you never made that connection. And she never did. She, the work was focused on the military and she had no real idea of relating it to everyday uh, usage, commercial usage. So the impact now, she's always fascinated with it. When we go on trips, my husband will use the GPS to find places for us to eat. And my mom just always thinks that that's really great. So She's happy that she had a part in it, but she honestly had no idea that that's what she was doing. So you mentioned that this all kind of came to light in 2018. How did you find out? So we were at, um, we are proud members of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, and we were all doing some bios of what we had done in life. And another one of our sorority sisters, Gwen James, she looked at what mom had written up and she came to me and she was like, do you know what your mom did? And of course I didn't. (laughs) And she said, this is really phenomenal. And she said, did we mind if she took it to the local paper? And so she She took it to our paper, The Freelance Star, and Kathy Dyson wrote a story about it, and it picked up everywhere, and that was the beginning of the journey. But when we came to Dahlgren, you know, times were different, and you did sort of stay on, try to stay on familiar highways and all when you travel, and you didn't travel at night a lot by yourself because you wouldn't necessarily return. But uh, but th- there were no critical, real outstanding fights and stuff like that that going on about us, and we were treated decently, and we 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 thought we felt proud because um, the department head uh, we felt had gone had stepped out uh, out of his path to hire us, uh, to believe in us, to bring us there. And, and and we were the beginning of integration for them. So um, we tried to uh, do unto uh, him as uh, I want him to do unto me. 
you know, in terms of stories about hidden figures, which you do call your mom as a hidden figure. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? And, um, you know, what you think about these stories coming to light? I mean, obviously, they should have come a lot sooner. Yes. So when we saw the movie Hidden Figures, you know, that was just really amazing to me at the, at that time. I still didn't know anything about mom, but I was, uh, the movie was just fascinating with all that they went through and all that they did and the intelligence of these black women who really had such an integral part of things, but they were just there doing the work and someone else was taking the credit. Uh, so when it came to light with mom, you know, then I was really fascinated with, with what she did. And, and then, you know, there's so many women at Dahlgren who were in the same situation. Mom would talk about you know, after the fact, she would talk about like how they were working on projects. They could do the work, but they couldn't always travel because they weren't allowed in the hotels. They weren't allowed to eat the food. My dad tells the same stories, you know, just the struggles that they had, but they were working hard and, and making things happen, but it, they just couldn't be recognized. So yeah, I, I think about that and, and think about all that they accomplished. I keep saying at Dahlgren, we need to bring all of these stories to light. And I would will say that Dahlgren has created a heritage museum and they are beginning to tell some of the stories that happened at Dahlgren with African-Americans and with Caucasians, you know, just telling what went on. Everything was secretive. So no one knows the work that was done, much less the work of the minorities and their contributions. And that's a public museum that anybody can go visit. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's good to know. Have to check it out. Yes. I knew that I worked for the government and I had high respect for the government and I thought that we should do the best we could to complete or do any project we had to do to make sure that was right and make sure that uh, um, it could be used by the person who is requesting it. This brings us to, you know, something else. There's this idea that persisted for a long time, right, about especially women in STEM and even minorities in STEM. And it's something that needs to be talked about more. We need more minorities. We need more women. I mean, women are also minorities, but we need people of all kinds getting into STEM fields. And I know that you have made great effort to help out with that and, and do a lot of outreach. Can you talk about that? Mom and dad have often talked to schools, kids, to tell them about their careers, the elementary age children, just to encourage them. And it, and it really does encourage them because even later on, as they're in high school or going to college, they'll send letters of the things that they are doing. Uh, we try to attend STEM events. Of course, they can't now, but they attended a couple of STEM events. And mom has always been fascinated by attending these events because of the way that people make STEM fun. And that's what she's trying to encourage the kids. There was one activity at that Dahlgren Museum where they used the GPS and they used a program for the kids to trace their family history using GPS. And those kind of things with STEM events that kids can find out that it's fun. I, I think it's very important. And then right now there is a museum in Alexandria. Mrs. Jane Plitt is doing that museum and it is to highlight innovation, women in innovation, women in STEM. They will use my mom as the kickoff 
for it, but they will have lots of stories with STEM. And it's real exciting the things that they are going to do. They're going to have a lot of interactive activities for kids, the youth, and a lot of training things. It's it's going to be really good. But anything like that, we try to uh, encourage the kids with STEM. In our sorority for a couple of years, we had people from different areas of STEM come in and talk to the youth about the careers. And I remember clearly uh, one person came in, a woman came in, and she worked for NASA. And when you think of working for NASA, you only think really about the rockets going up and being on the rockets. But she showed how all of the scientists, science fields were involved in this. And the kids were just really fascinated to think, well, I like psychology. I could work for NASA. I could be in the science field helping astronauts. So things like that. Yeah, it's it's so broad. There's so many different careers that you can have. I remember as a kid, I didn't see anybody that looked like myself doing, you know, any of those careers. I didn't really have any other thought in my head. I said, I I want to do something that's, you know, more technical, more science, math related. And and so that that's that's what I did. But I remember as a kid always seeing like those um you can go to like space camp and I always wanted to go and that was something. You know, it's it's always good to have all kids get that exposure so they know what's out there, what they can do, and they can kind of form their own path in, in terms of, you know, achieving a certain career or job. And when you said that, um, you brought to mind, so there is a um, camp in Florida, in Tampa, Florida, that a woman named Robin Donaldson does every sun- summer. Um, she's actually renaming it the Gladys West STEM Camp. And she is bringing kids, underprivileged kids together to do different STEM activities. And a couple of years ago, one of the things that they were doing was to design those tiny homes And they were trying to get those, um, you know, approved by the city to actually do it. But to see these young children in elementary school and middle school actually design homes, put them together in their minds. But when I was young, when I looked at things like architecture, I did not really understand what that was. There were no events to tell me how fun it could be. The same thing with chemistry. It was memorizing all of those equations. I saw no use for chemistry. But had I you know, been involved now and could see all of what you could do with chemistry, the impact of what it is, I, I may have gone down that way. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I think I pretty much, I had my Legos, I had my Connects, I had my, not Lincoln Logs, there's some other Tinker Toys or something. And then right. I was always just kind of like <laughs> putting things together. I was like, oh, I made like a space station. I made like, you know, like I made the house. I made it like, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And then as a kid, I was like, well, I like doing this and I like history. So I was like, honestly, I could either be a history teacher or an architect. And I remember as a kid, I was in, I think it might have been fourth or fifth grade. And there was another kid in the class that said that he wanted to be an architect. And he looked at me and he said, you'll be working for me. And then I said, oh, I definitely will not. So So. I didn't have any idea where I was going to get all this money from to go to college. I knew that it cost a lot of money. And my parents promised me a lot that they were raising some crap that they were going to use the funds to send me to school. But most of the time, they sort of, you know, use the money for something else. And uh, and so I thought that I should try to help myself uh, get this money. So um, 
uh, I was in the library at, at school and uh, heard this information coming through that says um, the state was providing a scholarship for four years for the, the students who were first and second in their high school graduating class. And uh, I, I sort of mulled over that a little bit and I said, I think I can do that. I can do that. And so I had a best friend in there. So we and our best friend stayed together, uh, keeping an eye on what each other are do, doing. And uh, so it finally went through and I got the first scholarship and she got the second Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see how STEM has evolved. But uh, I studied psychology in college. And even when you learn about like how psychology affects different aspects of teaching, I was taught that one reason why STEM is so male-dominated is because of this implicit bias that teachers place on girls saying, you're not good at math or you're not going to be good at math. And that affects how they perform. But then I think they did a study where when teachers don't put that bias, they perform on equal or higher levels than boys. I had a teacher actually say that. I think I was in, I don't remember what grade it was, but I was it was elementary school. And she actually said, boys are better at math and science. So, you know, we're all just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, so honestly, when I was in school, I think I mostly excelled. I told you, Chandi, mostly excelled in English and history and creative writing, things like that, right? I was also good at gym class, but not the best at math and science in school. And, you know, later on, I found out there's a reason for that, too. And and so, like, yeah, it's that bias that they just kind of slip in there mm-hmm. and you believe it because why wouldn't they tell you the truth? Right. You know? There's a bias. And there's also one person was telling me that at that middle school level, it's a confidence. So when girls are at that age and I think confidence is just starting to grow at that time. And if they don't do well on a math test or if they struggle learning, they give up on those STEM fields. And so that they were saying that that is where we really need to get the young girls to know, yes, you can do it and build up their confidence so that they continue on. Was that something that was taught to your mom growing up from her teachers? Her teachers encouraged her to do math. I don't think anyone ever told her she could not do math along the way. I think they were just really, um, you know, it was a small school, one teacher for all those grades <laughs> up to high school. And, um, you know, all the kids were in the same class at different levels. So I, I don't think that it was the same as it is now where they were singling out kids. And most of the kids had a desire to continue working on the farm or work in the factories that were there. So they were only a few who really had that aspiration to go to college. So I think they just encouraged them to do that. On average, I don't know if your mother has mentioned this, how many of her, I guess, classmates at the time when she was in school went on to go to college besides her? I am not sure, but I do know that one of her best friends went on to college, Dorothy Bates, and I know that she was a role model for mom too, and they were both encouraging each other. So I know those two did. I am sure there were others, but we just haven't had that conversation. You know, I've talked about wanting to help with outreach in terms of teaching kids about STEM careers and 
in anything that they really want to do, like what they like to do, here's what kind of job you can turn it into. Here's what kind of career you can turn it into. I guess, is there any any particular advice or any kind of way that you think would be a good idea to kind of start that conversation and start doing outreach in case anybody else is interested? I think you should get with the local organizations, especially the sororities and the fraternities. They are really trying to help develop young women and young men. And so they have different activities like that. I think museums have a lot of activities and just, you know, resources that the kids are aware of that they can do. I think working with the schools, working with the STEM programs in the schools, continue to bring in people from those different STEM area careers to talk to the children about it. Just getting the community involved in offering activities where they really learn how fun STEM can be and what a contribution it could be in society if they major in those fields. And you come from a STEM family, right? Because your dad and mom met at work. You know, what was that growing up? Um, you know, how many siblings do you have? And how were they as parents? And how are they as parents now? <laughs> well, first off, they're wonderful parents. Um, yes, they're both mathematicians and they both worked at Dahlgren. So for them uh, to be in the same field and to be going to work every day uh, together, that was a great thing. They could talk. Everything at Dahlgren was top secret, so they could talk to us, but they could talk to each other and to their whole group of people. Um, it was very important for that relationship during the time of integration at Dahlgren. Any of the struggles that people had, you know, that group could talk to each other. Um, as far as in the home, you know, what I remember about my parents, both of them was constant studying, working, uh, just trying to be better, trying to make sure that they were on the same level or higher or the people that they were working with. They encouraged us to go along the path to go to college. So there was never really a discussion about going to college. We just kind of knew that we would. I have two brothers. And so uh, my one brother is in the GIS field. So while he is not necessarily a STEM, he is in the same kind of mapping field like my mom did. So, you know, I took math courses in high school and college. I actually am okay in math. I, I think I just wanted to forge my own way and, and do something a little different. But economics touched on the numbers and the finance. That's good. So they kind of encouraged, I mean, they encouraged you to go to college. It was kind of like a, just a given, you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. and so they, they also, but didn't push you in a particular direction. It's kind of like no. you can do what you want to do and that's totally fine. Yes. That's great. So when your mother used to go out, both your parents really, when they used to go out and do this kind of outreach, what was the reaction that they would get from kids or from just the people they were speaking to? They loved it. They went to Dahlgren School every year. Um, and I went to Dahlgren School, so it's kind of special that they went back there. But the kids just really sit and listen, and they're just really thrilled to hear all of the stories that they tell. And I know one little girl, she moved to Japan because all the kids are military there. 
And she moved to Japan. And when she got into her school, there was a picture of mom on the wall. And she was just really thrilled that she had been able to talk to my parents, knew what they did, and was able to tell that story. So that they're all intent. Mom went to another school at Indian Head and then one in Maryland. And then um, they the kids just really enjoy listening to them. So since, you know, she actually was encouraged to pursue math or the hard sciences or mathematical sciences. Is she surprised or uh, about how this bias occurs in, you know, among teachers? So we haven't really talked about that, but yeah, I'm I'm sure she's probably a little bit surprised at how it is now because she was just determined to be in in that field and do it. And so she didn't have the things to stop her along the way as far as people-wise. Now, making sure that she had the background when she got to college, those kind of things were a hindrance, a, a struggle, but she overcame those. But I, I, she, in her career, she had more people pushing her towards this to do something outside of going back to farm life. To, she wanted to be able to get a job to support herself and her family and her parents and all. And when she looks back now on, you know, her life, her career, everything, I'm sure she's proud of her accomplishments and even the people working with her alongside her as well. Does she fully understand what her accomplishments have done for global positioning systems and GIS and just everything, the world? Does she, you know, really grasp the, the seriousness? I don't think she grasped the seriousness of it and all that she did. When she was working, it was always just to get the job done as best as she could and to keep growing professionally. So to her, it was just her job, what she was supposed to do. And when she looks back now and she hears it, she's always, mom is very humble. And so when someone says something, she still seems to be a little surprised that people are recognizing her contribution. She is thrilled to be recognized now. And she's understanding a little bit about what she's done. But I still don't think she grasped (laughs) everything about it. And I know that when mom looks back over her career and, and really over her whole life, she realizes that there were people, you know, encouraging her along the way. But at the time, she didn't recognize that how much of an impact that they had. And she's really grateful. And she wishes that you at Dahlgren, there was someone there who was really a mentor to the people who were there. There were people who encouraged them to do their best, but, you know, someone to really chart out your career path and say, you should do this, this, and this. And and she's like, imagine where they would all be now if they had had that. We have more of that in our jobs today. I do that every day. And, and she listens and she's like, wow, you know, we could be so much more if we had had that. I think that that's important to note. In anybody's career, there's always people who kind of help you along the way and you just don't realize it until later. But yeah, it would also be nice to have somebody like an actual mentor, which I don't have, (laughs) but it'd be nice. But, you know, just that person that can say, hey, you're really good at this. Maybe this is the direction you want to go in because it opens up a whole new world for you. And, you know, even as a kid, there's people that you don't realize are, are even kind of influencing you to do something later in life. Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of mentorship, that's something that, you know, is, is just so important. And, you know, you do that in your work. And um, why do you do that? Are you influenced by your parents? Or have you found it in your own personal life, having a mentor and the impacts of it? I think it's more that I found it in my own personal um, professional development. I have always had good bosses who've recognized potential that I didn't know I had. I used to be extremely quiet, especially when I first came to Quantico um, back in like 2004. And from day one, people were recognizing that I had a lot to contribute and they encouraged me, you know, to come out of my shell and do it. And then I got one position and the team was full of males, no other females. And I had a male boss and he called me in and he said, to be successful here, you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to prove yourself to them that they can trust you. And so he sent me to a couple of leadership courses and, you know, we laugh. He said, well, you did way too well in that <laughs> when I came back. But, you know, that was the start of being able to have a little more confidence. And, and it just seems like throughout my career, there was someone before I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I liked finance and I knew I liked people. And I had one job in Blacksburg and my boss asked me one day, what is it that you really like? And I told her and she said, you need to be in human resource management, personnel management. And she started taking me to training classes. She took me to the Rotary Club meeting. She just got me acclimated to a whole lot of things. She knew we were only there temporary, like for three years, but she wanted to set me in my career so that when I moved to the next place, I would be ready to go. And I just appreciate the people along the way who have helped me and I want to do the same for others. I see potential. I don't believe that people fail at things. I think that they're just not in their right place based on what they can do. And that's what I try to do is to get them in the position where they're happy and it's a good fit and they can show what they can do. You said that you love finance. I'm just curious, what got you interested in finance? I think it's the numbers. And so that probably came from my parents doing <laughs> the numbers. You know, I remember my dad often teaching us how to count money without counting penny by penny, you know, count in tens or try to do this to make it more simple. Um, so I, I like numbers. If you give me your birth date or your phone number, I remember it forever. So I just liked the numbers. And then I worked uh, at a credit union and at a bank, and I still enjoyed finance. So when I got to the government, I worked as a financial manager for 11 years before I moved into this position. And I enjoyed just the budgeting and getting the money out the door to help the military. I just enjoy numbers. I'm very, very number oriented. Everything I do is in an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> so I can keep track of the bank. Oh, so you're one who knows all those like Excel, like uh, equations and macros and all. oh man. I do. I live in Excel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I only know like a, a few little things for Excel. Jeez. But... <laughs> yeah. The sum. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I'm a little better than that. I can do a couple of, a little bit of equation type stuff, but not much. <laughs> I can set up graphs. Yes. But Chandi, by the way, since you said you, you have problems with GPS still, right? Or no, GPS is good for you. You have problem with maps, right? I have a problem with navigation. Just in general? 
Yeah. I mean, I can walk around <laughs> and somewhat yeah, so. not get lost, but I would say if I walk over a mile, I might. That's me. Yeah. Seriously? Hey, we're not all Gladys Wests. It's a mindset. It's, a, it's how you see things. And I don't see things that way to know how to get okay. from A to B. And looking at a map for me is overwhelming. I cannot okay. read a map. So the GPS telling me where to go. I, I think like my mom likes geometry and math, those spatial things. I like algebra. I like finite numbers and equations. So I think the mind just thinks I, I I can't see 3D. If you were to design a home for me and show me that design, it would mean nothing to me. My mind doesn't think Most like people. that. And I see things inside out. Like for years, I never saw the bat signal in the Batman sign. I saw the ovals around it. I did not see. So it's, a, it's how your mind wow. can see things. I never even thought about that, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As a kid, like, Shandi, we talked about the whole Google Maps thing versus MapQuest versus Yahoo Maps versus whatever. And, like, as a kid, and my dad reminded me of this. He's like, yeah, we had maps in the car. I was like, you're right. We literally had maps in the car. We'd pull out the maps. And, you know, my mother was really good at it. And we'd be like, all right, so we're here and we need to go down this road and go here. And then it should probably take us about this amount of time to get there. And I don't know. I like spatial things. Well, obviously, I like spatial things. But, yeah, like I, I'm pretty good with like navigation and, and things like that. There are plenty of things I'm not good at. But, yeah, it's just interesting, like that difference in people really really interesting i never thought about <laughs> a lot of that because i was like chandi i was like i'm gonna get you maps for your birthday i'm just gonna get you a set of u.s maps yeah what am i gonna do with it we have gps <laughs> 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 yeah i'm never letting go of gps i mean i would probably like frame the map and use it as like wall decor sometimes like oh i just wish i could print out this well i do that i'll print out a map and then i'll use that I, yeah she's I'm old school now. Yeah, I can't, I, I just can't do it. And, you know, before, before GPS, whenever I went anywhere, I would just go from point A to B, how I knew to get there. And then I would call my brother and say, I'm here. How do I get to the next step? Or I would stop and ask, how do I get to the next? I could not look at that. Wow. Oh. So he was your map in a way. Yes. Yes. And now it's my husband. Whenever I'm anywhere and I'm using, even when I'm using GPS, he still kind of follows to make sure I'm, That's just funny. make sure I turn the right way. <laughs> well, see, obviously GPS is helping tremendously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does your mom feel about that? Does she just kind of laugh? They just laugh. They they have <laughs> they know not to show me a map that it just isn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It'll just kind of go over your head. Yeah. And when we would take trips um, before when like they were just starting to ride with us and mom and dad would be in the back seat with a map. And I'm like, put the map away. I've got GPS, you know, but they're following it all the way to make sure that we're going the right way. So GPS has improved quite a bit in the last like 10, 15 years, because before that, honestly, you still might get lost with the GPS. Exactly. I mean, it's so good now that when I'm driving, it'll say that there's car crash or something. Yes. That so That's, traffic yeah. is slowing down. Like, how do they do that? I know. I mean, honestly, it is definitely one of the best technological advances we've had in 
what the last century <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's such an important thing that's just so like integrated into our lives that we really don't think about it all that much right. like honestly without it there's a lot of things that we would not have or not be doing so mm -hmm. yeah it's like electricity plumbing gps <laughs> i mean we've had plumbing for a while we've had electricity for a while <laughs> I know, I'm just putting it in the same category because it's super important too. <laughs> oh, just, okay, all right, okay. I mean, the plumbing for like, you had Egyptians, Romans. I just, it's been plumbing for... <laughs> you stopped at Egyptians and Romans. <laughs> Literally had bathhouses and toilets. And you said you have two brothers. You said one of them was G in GIS? Yes. The mapping, the zoning, all of that type of thing. So, you know, he collects maps. He does everything map-oriented. One thing is, you know, as your mom talked about, if she wasn't a mathematician, what she would have done? Yes. So she would have been home economics. So when she was younger, um, and, and her sister majored in home economics. Oh, wow. So when mom was younger, they used to go into the city to visit uh, some of the relatives. And one of her aunts, Aunt Magdalene, she would sew dresses and, and things like that. And mom thought that was really great. And so mom started sewing. So mom used to sew a lot of my clothes when I was younger. Nice. She just has a passion for the sewing, the cooking, all of the things in home economics. So I think had someone not encouraged her to do math, she probably would have been in that field. Oh, that's interesting because they're so drastic in terms of like what traditional gender <laughs> roles. Right, right. <laughs> that's so but, you interesting. Know, when she was thinking about it, um, she probably didn't think about the difference in the career. Yeah. If somebody hadn't told her where she could go with math, she would have thought that home economics was probably the way to get a good, good job, which it is. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a good field as well. I was always uh, enthusiastic about being there because I thought that this was an opportunity to be the best that I could be and to help out uh, with the world and, and, and the governmental projects and all. And, and the fact that they had hired us, I thought that meant something that they, they believed in us. And all. So even though there was, you know, little discrepancies or struggles and all, um, it wasn't enough to, to turn me around or send me back home. I, I knew that I was going to do the best that I could, uh, regardless. And, and, and so I sort of like treat other people like I wanted to be treated myself and, and respect the people who were in charge and, do my best. And I, I, I did just that. And I stayed there for 42 years. You know, we haven't talked much about your father, obviously, you know, because we're talking about your mother and, and GPS, but he also, you know, worked at Dahlgren. What did he work on? Or, or does he know what his contributions were? So he worked on the ballistic missiles as oh, part of a, the submarines. Awesome. Um, so, you know, he, his work is very important, too. And yeah. the, a couple people have said they need to tell his story. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, again, I didn't know what he did. And until this story came out, I actually was a financial manager for ballistic missiles. And we were doing the modern day ballistic missiles. And I had no idea that wow. back then he was working on the same thing. So it's, it's kind of cool to, to think about that as well. 
That's that's awesome. Definitely different, but still, you know, military helping out, especially, you know, for, for wars or, you know, military engagements. How does he feel about his contributions? Well, he again, he's humble too. Yeah. <laughs> so he he's um I think he's proud of the work that he did. Uh, when they when the Dahlgren Museum just did the exhibit on both of them and their contributions, I, I think to see it all laid out and to see their career, it just really did something, you know, to him yeah. and to mom to say, oh, wow, okay, now I know what I did. But when you're in the middle of it, you're not thinking about yeah. it, you're just doing your job. I mean, that's amazing, honestly. So the person, if you look up the um, the Dahlgren Heritage Museum and the person who um, is doing a lot of the history on that is Al Dean. And he is so into history. He's so incredible. And he will talk to you about everything. He, his knowledge is fascinating with Dahlgren. Because you mentor Carolyn and, you know, your mom has a huge focus on making sure that mentorship is important. What does that mean to you? What does mentorship mean? Mentorship to me means trying to just bring out the best in people, find out what it is. I I talk to them. I just try to get a background of what they like. I observe them. And it's just finding that place where they belong, where they can, can they can succeed and they feel, they know they're succeeding and they're happy. Um, an example where we are, our financial managers work in either the program office where they're directly procuring things for the military or they work in the comptroller shop where they're on the other end of that finance and they're doing more accounting and auditing type things. Not everybody can do both. Again, it's a mindset. So some people are really financial managers where they do the funding documents, but they really get involved in the program and figuring out where the money needs to go and looking down the road. Others are more accounting where it's black and white and finance and tends to be a lot of the same things every day, maybe not the exact same task, but in general, the duties are that way. And so sometimes we hire people in the program office and I will hear, well, they're not succeeding. They, they don't understand. They're not doing it. And I'll say, well, let's try them in the comptroller shop. And then they succeed and vice versa. So it's finding that fit for everyone and providing the tools so that they can succeed, that's mentorship. And one other thing, when you said you were too old to change fields, so that's not necessarily true because Al Dean is a mathematician. And so when he retired, that's when he started working at the museum to bring his love of history. So you could still do that after you retire. That's that's very (laughs) true. Thank you. It's a chance to then do something you're really passionate about. So it's not a job. So what prompted you, Carolyn, to really, you know, start a Facebook page for your mom and get her story out there? So she wrote her book. Uh, It began with a dream. That was something she had always wanted to do. It was not based on being recognized now. She wanted to write something to encourage people to say, you know, I had a lot of hardships along the way. It wasn't an easy path, 
but I had a dream when I was younger and I achieved that dream. And she wanted other people to be able to, to do that. But mom wrote her book later in life. So she didn't have the opportunity to get out there and promote it as much as she could have had she been younger. Now we were, I know most people won't say this, but COVID was actually a blessing in this area because she was able to do things via uh, Zoom. And so she was able to get the story out that way. But now that she really can't do a lot of that, we wanted to continue her dream of getting that story out to people all around the world. And so that's why we have the Facebook page um, and just trying to promote her story wherever I can so that some person, young or old, it doesn't matter your age, but you just realize you can do it. You can dream and you can get that, get to where you want to be just and don't give up on it. Where can we find your mother's book? Is it available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon and it is available in a soft cover, in an ebook, and audio book. Definitely pick up a copy. What was the process like for her writing a book? So it was a, a long process for several years. Mom would work on the outline of what she wanted to say in the book. And she had a really, really good outline. But mom is a scientist. So when she got ready to write the book, it was more factual. And I kept saying, mom, there's so much more to your story than the, just the fact that I was born here. And so it's really interesting. So one of the first Black people at Dahlgren, they lived with in the same neighborhood as mom and dad. Their daughter, who I had not met, but mom and dad knew her brother and sister, they um, got with another person, Marvin Jackson, and Marvin writes documentaries. And he wanted to write a documentary on mom. So they came to the house and they were telling stories. You know, um, they were listening to we we all learned what it was like back then as they were doing the documentary. And Marvin was so kind and gentle with mom and just really was telling her story. Uh, so I suggested to mom that we ask Marvin would be interested in helping her write her story to to really bring it all together. And so for about a year and a half, um, it was important to me that the true story was told. I didn't want any fluff. I wanted just the facts. And so Marvin attended family reunions. He attended all of the awards banquets. He spent many uh, weekends um, coming down to the house to sit with mom just to to get the story. So it was um, looking back, it it wasn't that long, but a year and a half did seem like a long time at the time. But I I felt like it was a good process, and you know everything that he wrote, we just analyzed it to make sure, even down to phrases. You know, I would say, well, mom wouldn't say something like that. This is how she would say it. So it's a genuine, authentic storytelling of her story. And, you know, in terms of like memory, that's complicated. So it, how did um, her memory help in terms of writing her story? Or did she also journal? Did she have like physical copies that helped her remember certain dates and events? 
So the outline that she did, I think over the course of years doing that, I think that helped triggering things. Her memory was very good on the things that happened at work. Um, and then Marvin did a lot of research on the things that were happening in the world at that time. And he would bring those to her. So that would help trigger some more memories, things like that. I mean, she did very well remembering how she felt, the things she went through, the things she learned. All of that was really good. Marvin had a knack of bringing that out of her. And sometimes she would take a week to think about it to make sure she included everything. But but she got that. I mean, that's always like an amazing process, like start to finish writing a book, accomplishing that, you know, she's done a lot. <laughs> she has. And, you know, those outlines and you asked if yeah. she journaled. She did have some journals. Um, I have four of her journals wow. here that she she did that that helps too. And, and Marvin took those and, and read through them to try to get a feel for her story. And now uh, in the Library of Congress, they're doing an exhibit on mom pulling back all of those memories and books, you know, her, her story will be there forever in, in the Library of Congress. So that's kind of nice that we'll always remember her story. That's amazing. What she like? So mom has changed over the years. <laughs> you know, when we were growing up and she was working, she was very serious. She, you know, work was important to her. She even says in school, she didn't do a lot of the fun things along the way that she probably should have included in her life. So she's, she's a perfectionist. Uh, she likes things to be exactly right. I mean, she's, but that's within herself. I mean, she's not demanding that everyone else is a perfectionist. She just expects that her what she does should be perfect. And then mom had a stroke in 1998. And that changed a lot of her perspective. My son will say, wow, Gammy has changed a lot. Mom, she's more relaxed. You know, she's taken some time to enjoy life. Uh, and, and, and through the years, I think she has relaxed more. She's having a little more fun in life. And, at, and, you know, both of them are 92 now. So I keep trying to tell them, uh, have a little fun. COVID kind of restricts some things, but I'm like, listen to a good podcast, watch a good movie on TV, read a good book, do your word search, things like that. So mom is a positive person. She she does look for the good in things. Uh, you know, if she has a setback, we just talk it through and, and then she can see the light. She's, she's a good mom and a good dad. Having fun is is important. Yeah, it seems like uh, they both, well, mostly her because we're talking about her, but it seems like, yeah, Dr. West has worked her whole life and had so many accomplishments that she realized later on that, yeah, I guess, I mean, she worked so much that she wasn't really able to enjoy herself. So I'm glad that She's able to do that now. It's never too late. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's important to have some fun in life. It's it's good to study. Uh, and times were different then. You know, there yeah. probably couldn't have had as much fun because you're proving a lot more. Uh, you know, we still have to prove things now, but not nearly how they had to prove it back then to, to make sure you stay competitive and make sure you stay sane. I'm just curious, are they up on like technology still? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go down there quite often to help them mm -hmm. so that they don't, I fix meals for them for the week okay. and, uh, you know, okay. I check on them. So yes, they do still live on their own and, you know, they're 
they're independent, but I do need to help some. But uh, as far as technology, we keep them up with the newest computers. Uh, my dad is on Facebook all the time. That's cool. Um, mom <laughs> that is, mom cool. is very good with um, writing emails. Uh, it, it's slowed down some now, but but different things. We teach them how to attach things in Gmail. I, I just try to keep their mind going. Yeah on it and phones we they do have smartphones they don't have iPhones I can't get them to consent to an iPhone <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> no. Android an iPad. all the way hopefully <laughs> they have an iPad um okay you know I I kind of set the podcast up on the iPad so all they have oh, okay. to do is to sign in and listen but they you know do that nice. so they're they're pretty good with technology for 92 yeah. that's really good <laughs> How do they feel about just technology evolving? Because every year something new comes out. You know, I think they find it interesting, but I don't think that they completely understand it all. And because they worked on the great big computers and they did the programming part, I, I think it's when they look at things now, they don't see the software part of it as much. They see right. how it works. And so... You know, my dad is really good with with how the computer itself works, but I'm always like, well, you have to learn the programming, you have the software, you have to learn Word and Excel and all of those things, I think, are a little bit different for them. Yeah, but, there's like yeah, the hardware think, engineering yeah. versus the software engineering. And exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. What is next for you, Carolyn? Retirement. <laughs> that, that was, was quick good. she's like i'm done i'm done with I work am yeah i am retiring on january 2nd 2025 i am on wow. countdown and <laughs> though i love my job i am 62 years old and i am ready to move to the next thing and what i really want to do is to help women come back into the workforce I work with, uh, well, mom and dad both have talked to the students at Rappahannock Community College. And some of the women there have had different things happen along the way, um, you know, a, an early pregnancy or just something to keep them from finishing high school or not having the future. And the program at Rappahannock Community College gets them prepares them, provides the skills. They have a college degree. And I was just so impressed with all that they have done. And one young lady in particular, she had a, a, a really hard path. And now she is working on developing the COVID vaccine. And no one would have thought that would have been her path. And so this program it's just fascinating to me. So um, whether I work on that program or something different, I just really want women to know that they can do it regardless. Pretty much my mom's my mom's dream, her her passion to help. It, it's it's along those lines. In terms of working on this program, what are you envisioning? I might work there part time and volunteer. I just want to be involved in the programs. I want to get to know the young women. I want to be able to offer resources that I might have found along my path that might have helped them. 
I was married at one time and then I got divorced. And as a single parent, yes, I had my parents who could have helped me, but I tried and they did help me. But I was also trying to forge my own way and to do things. So I think because of that, and I had such tremendous support from my village, my family and my friends that I want to I already had my college degree, but I knew that I needed more to stand on my own two feet. So to be able to get my master's and my PhD, anything is possible. And I I want everyone to know that there are resources out there to get this done. And and I just want to encourage them. Now I have a wonderful husband (laughs) and I've grown up and, and had my career, but it, you know, it takes a while, but you can do it. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, it seems like a lot of the, I, I mean, I, can't, I well, then again, I can't say this, but the, you know, a lot of this, maybe it came from just your upbringing and from your parents and, and it just kind of continues within mm-hmm. you. Um, and you just kind of want to give back and, and help people um, yes. as best as you can. Yes. Again, another one of those things where you're being mentored and showing things, but it's yep. not, you know, a formal thing that you're picking up. I picked up on my parents' work. You know, I work all sorts of hours just because I'm used to them doing it and and really trying to be my best. But they didn't say you have to do this. Right. Just deserve Thank you to your mom, to Dr. Gladys West for all her accomplishments, but also to you to get the story out there, to, you know, push for advocating for people to learn about her and also to helping young girls and young women. I mean, that's really, really important. Well, thank you to you both for allowing me to have the platform to share her story. Um, And I know mom is appreciative, very appreciative that you you all are, are doing this and others are supporting her story. So thank you. Tell them thanks on our behalf in the world. Yes. I will. We'd like to thank Carolyn for being on the show today and for sharing her mother's story. We'd like to thank Dr. West for all of her contributions and for leaving a lasting mark on the pages of history. We'll have links to more information about Dr. West in the episode show notes on the website. Go pick up a copy of It Began With a Dream by Dr. Gladys B. West and co-author M.H. Jackson. It's the story of Dr. West, whose work was essential in developing GPS and changed the world as we know it. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bound by the Cloak. You can follow us on X, Instagram, TikTok, if you aren't already doing so. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as long as it lasts. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bound by the Cloak. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. If you like what you hear, let your friends know. Let everybody know. Until next time.